Sunday Sports Sound Off is presented by Window Works. The time to talk Tennessee football is now. It's Sunday Sports Sound Off, the longest-running talk show in the state of Tennessee with Tam Irwin and your host, Jimmy Hines. Call in now at 656-9900 or 866-656-9900. Sunday Sports Sound Off, sponsored by Safety Systems, Lexus of Knoxville, ANLRV, your East Tennessee Volunteer Toyota dealers, TVA, Wow Cable Internet and Phone, Window Works, Rusty Wallace Kia on Callahan, Salsaritas, Fox 43 Sports, National OT Clinic, and Kimball's Jewelers. Now, here's your host, Jimmy Hines. Tennessee ends one losing streak, and they uh, have another streak. Five in a row, they've won six out of seven. Tennessee bowl eligible now for the first time. Well, they're bowl eligible anyway, but they go to seven and five. They have a winning record in the SEC for only the second time since 2007, and they end a three-game losing streak to Vanderbilt with a 28-10 victory over the Commodores. The game was delayed twice. It did not delay the inevitable as the Vols get a win over Vanderbilt. Welcome to Sunday Sports Sound Off with Tim Irwin. I'm Jimmy Himes. Tim Irwin, a former star at Central High School, University of Tennessee, and with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Tim, it was kind of a sloppy game, very wet, uh, delayed a couple times, windy conditions, but Tennessee still got out of there with the win. And uh, now Vanderbilt, which is 1-7 in the SEC, all seven of their losses by at least 17 points. Your thoughts on the game last night? I thought it was sloppy uh, from both teams. Neither quarterback played particularly well, especially starting out. Um, I don't know how much the wind had to do with that, but the passing game just looked off for both teams. Luckily, Tennessee really whipped them at the line of scrimmage, both sides of the football, um, bludgeoned them with the offensive line, which was great to see. And uh, really, I felt like the line of scrimmage was about two yards deep in Vanderbilt's backfield when they were trying to run the football. And I think that was a difference in the game. There were a lot of almost mistakes and mistakes. I mean, uh, we almost snapped the ball over the punter's head twice. They did snap mm-hmm. the ball over the punter's head, and he made a great play to get it out. We fumble on the goal line and get it back. And it was stuff like that going on all night. It wasn't a clean game. Um, but, wow, two really long runs. Of course, Gray had the great night with 250 yards rushing and uh, way up on the all-time list at Tennessee. And I, I, uh, it's good to see things back to normal. You're supposed to beat Vanderbilt like that. I felt like we could have taken them out of the game. It could have been a lot worse had we mm-hmm. executed a little better. Yeah, and um, it, it was intriguing to me that Tennessee started the game in those conditions, throwing a pass on seven of the first nine. They didn't get a first down the first three possessions. Fourth possession – Touchdown, fifth possession, touchdown, sixth possession, touchdown. And uh, Vanderbilt wasn't going to get back in that game. Their offense wasn't going to. No, I don't think that they could have. They could have stayed on offense the rest of the game and not gotten back <laughs> in it. They couldn't They couldn't run it. They couldn't throw it. And they had a tough time. Uh, they had the one little drive where they went zip, zip, zip and were down the field. Um, but they didn't, they didn't do much. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way that game's supposed to look, except the score's supposed to be even more lopsided. Yeah, there was only the the one really scoring drive for Vanderbilt. They went 90 yards. Other than that, Tennessee had the first possession interception. Vanderbilt kicked a field goal. 
that was set up, of course, by the interception. So, yeah, v- Vanderbilt didn't have, but but the one drive in the in the fourth quarter that went ten plays, ninety yards, and um, that was it. That was really the only uh, time they marched it downfield with any significance. They moved the ball a little bit at the end of the game against our backups after the second delay, um, but other than that, they didn't do much at all. And like I said, the line of scrimmage was totally dominated by our guys on both sides of the ball. Um, tight end had a big night. Mm-hmm. Uh, receivers, not so much, but they each made a big play. Each of our senior receivers made a big play. Um, bad penalties, pre-snap penalties in that game. And I can't figure out why. A crowd noise with the rain and everything, keeping some people away wasn't that bad. Uh, but we made a lot of pre-snap penalties. I think Pope had two. Austin Pope had two. Three. Three offside penalties. What the heck? I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. Um, but uh, I thought uh, it was dominance at the line of scrimmage, and I, uh, that tickled me. I, I will say this. They announced 81 three times on illegal procedure. Sometimes yeah. they mix that up, but I think on those occasions, yeah. I think they were correct on those. So, Yeah, he's where his yeah. concentration was. All right, let's uh, let's get our thumbs up. Uh, obviously, Eric Gray, 25 carries, 246 yards. He had three touchdowns. Uh, he had 207 yards on the season entering the game, 246 against Vanderbilt. That is a Tennessee school record for a true freshman. It broke the record of Jamal Lewis, who had 232 against Georgia in 1997. Also, it's the first time a Tennessee running back set over 200 yards since Arian Foster did it against Vanderbilt in 2005. Uh, the 94-yard runs, the second longest for Tennessee. Kelsey Finch had a 99-yarder against Florida. And there are only three other running backs who have had more yards rushing in a game than Eric Gray for Tennessee. Chuck Webb, who did it twice. Johnny Jones, who you played with. And Tony Thompson. Those are the only three that had a more yards rushing in a single game in Tennessee history. Uh, also, uh, I thought the offensive line did a nice job, opened some holes, pretty significant holes. Uh, Daniel Batuli, I thought, had a solid game. He had eight stops. Dominic Wood Anderson, three catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. And for those that were wondering, he did not run through the tee. The seniors were recognized well in running through the tee, and then they would go over to the sideline, greeted by family, and by Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, According to Pruitt, Wood Anderson did not do that because his family couldn't make it, and so he did not participate in the Senior Day festivities in that regard. Well, he can't come back anyway. He's done, right? Right, right. And that's what spawned some question marks about, why didn't he run through the tee? Could he redshirt? Was there a What's it? Well, no, he's not. He's he's out. I thought Tennessee did pretty well on third down, six out of 13. That's a pretty good percentage. Uh, First sacks for Quaverius Crouch and Roman Harrison – uh, also held Keyshawn Vaughn, a 1,000-yard rusher. They held him to 13 yards on six carries. Uh, the fact that Tennessee won five in a row, six out of seven, and uh, the second winning record in SEC play since 2007. And also, and this is one that they dodged and they, they needed to, and it was hard to believe, Tennessee needed to win that game so they didn't lose the decade to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt entered that game with a 5-4 and four record against Tennessee in the 2010s you got to go back to the 1920s to find the last time Vanderbilt had more wins against Tennessee in a decade. So Tennessee avoided that. Thumbs down. Uh, the Juwan Jennings late hit, and then I thought stomping on a Vanderbilt player. Uh, it was a forceful move on his foot when he got up. Uh, that 
stirred the pot a little bit because then Vanderbilt players started running across the field. They were stopped. None of them, to my knowledge, got to the Tennessee sideline. There was not a flag thrown, which surprised me. I thought they would call late hit and then Vanderbilt for running on the field. Maybe they felt like it was not necessary because it would have been offsetting. But anyway, I, that play by Jennings was, I thought, uh, not acceptable. Well, the way the, the TV announcers explained it, Jimmy, and I don't know, was that it uh, right near the sideline they had something pulled out. They had a plastic tarp, and it had rained yeah. on it a bunch. Right. And it was like hitting a slip and slide, and both players just hydroplaned off the field. And I'm not so sure the hit was that late. The hit was hard, but I'm not so sure he wasn't in the field. But when they hit that slip and slide, everything accelerated. It appeared he drove him into the bench, and I'm not sure that there was just no way to stop the momentum. I'm going to give him somewhat a benefit of the doubt, but if he stomped on somebody's head, you can't be doing that. I mean, that's just totally – that's that's like what we saw in the pros at Cleveland game. He he wasn't looking when he got up, but when he got up, the right foot came down really hard. Now, you can argue a stomp or whatever you want to call it, yeah. and I don't know that he necessarily meant to hit the guy in the head – but that's yeah. where it went. Well, they got this um, this macho thing these guys do when they jump up after a big hit yeah. and go running out so everybody can see him. And I'm hoping it was one of those hard first steps. But I hope he didn't intend it because yeah. I like him as a player. Um, well, he's turning he around. I know he's fired up. Year. I know he was fired up about playing Vanderbilt yeah. from last week's comments. Yes, and um, can't wait to see him. Yeah, I can't wait can't to wait see to him. See yeah. Him. <laughs> And I know he was frustrated along about that time because he hadn't got any balls. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the evidence, I don't know what you take that in front of a jury or not, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. it got a lot of national criticism for it, and maybe that went a little bit too far. But I, 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 thought, it, I thought he hit the guy out of bounds. I did. So, All right, uh, the uh, thumbs down on the passing attack. Garantano struggled. Uh, he was 0 for 7 to start the game. He was 1 of 8 with one interception in the first quarter. He ended up 6 of 17 for 120 yards, and about half of that came on two completions. Uh, the fumble exchange inside the five-yard line, that was uh, Garantano and Quiveris Crouch, who had right. gone into that that uh, bulldozer package well, that they you had. you got a one-handed quarterback and somebody not noted for handling the ball very much, and you're at a crucial time in the game. I mean, I don't know how he's made it with that hand like that. I, my hat's off to him. I don't know how he's caught all those snaps and – then the handoff's pretty flawed. Yeah. The handoff was there. Krause kind of screwed that one yeah. up. It looked like on slow-mo. That's what I thought, too. Uh, also, Kevon Bennett hit a guy late on a fair catch. Eh, that was 15 yards. Um, I And I like him a lot, and I know you do, too, but I didn't get Jim Chaney starting the game off throwing seven times on the first nine snaps in inclement weather. That surprised me a little bit. When Vanderbilt's got the worst run defense in the SEC. Um, I... You went three and out on your first three – well, yeah, first three possessions. You got didn't get a first down. I mean, it's a uh, different game. I know I'm a dinosaur, but I would have had to make them taste it a little bit before I started throwing the ball. I mean, especially, especially with the dominance. We, hey, figured it out. We, had, we weren't doing much outside the tackles, but in between the tackles, we were pounding them. We were gashing mm-hmm. them, and he figured that out. We started running more straight lines, and yeah. it, was, it was a big, big day. And uh, somebody said, quoted him, said he talked with his backs and said, there's nothing in the rule books that says you can't run past eight yards. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see him saying that. I can yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
In other words, quit getting tackled at eight yards. Bust some of these. But uh, they sure did. Uh, well, great did anyway. And then uh, Austin Pope with the three legal procedures. So those are my uh, thumbs down. And, uh, a, and a really stupid. It's just twice he's gotten on my radar, and I don't even know him back-to-back weeks. Uh, George, 41, hits a oh, guy right yeah. dead in the middle of the back on a punt return and backs us way up. And uh, it showed uh, that Coach, was a Callaway return, wasn't it? Yeah, it showed it? Coach yeah. Pruitt yeah. getting on him again. That's two weeks in a row. He missed a tackle so bad that it was embarrassing last week, and then he hit a guy in the middle of the back. Uh, I I just I don't understand. It's almost every other punt return. There's a block in the back. You would think that the players would be disciplined enough to know you can't do that. You used to call it clipping. Now it's just a block in the back. But they do it. And not just Tennessee. Almost every game you watch, there's a good return. Then, the, oh, block in the back. If you can't see the front of the guy, don't hit him. Right. You can't hit him. Exactly. And A uh, couple of other notes about the game. So there was a 28-minute delay to start the game uh, with lightning had been spotted in the area. Then there was a 39-minute delay uh, in the fourth quarter. And so uh, the game didn't end until 8-15 after those delays. And was, there's got, there ought to be something... When one happens that late, and obviously that game, you never know, but uh, pretty good lead with that long. That's so dangerous for those guys to stop and sit there and get cold for 30 minutes and have to warm up and come back. I mean, that's so dangerous on your body uh, when you have to stop and then start again like that. And whatever we did for our delay, our pregame delay routine, change it because it didn't work. We started out (laughs) flat as a board. Um, uh, it was a very disappointing start on offense. I was told that uh, Tennessee had asked the uh, ESP, the network, SEC network, which was uh, with ESPN, to uh, to just expedite some of these timeouts or just pass on some of the timeouts to get the game over because they knew the storm was coming. It was well, heading this way. You could see it on your radar. I mean, I was watching Ab- it. I was tracking it. Absolutely. And they declined because they got to get in the commercials. So what happened is you get in all these commercials. You had a commercial, then a kickoff, and then another commercial. Each of them were about three minutes, it seemed like. And so you ended up having to delay the game. And then you move it to another alternate channel where I'm thinking, well, they kind of messed Florida, up. Florida, Florida State. Is that what happened? They put they played mm-hmm. Florida, Florida State. So mm-hmm. you end up on an alternate channel where you basically screwed up on your timeouts anyway as far as the exposure for them. But anyway, I, I thought they could. And somebody else suggested they should have even started the game earlier then 4 o'clock, knowing this weather was uh, headed that way. All right, a couple of players for Tennessee uh, not in the lineup. Ty Chandler at running back had an ankle injury. Aubrey Solomon with a head injury in the previous game. They did not play. Uh, so those are a couple of notes from the game uh, with uh, Tennessee getting the victory over Vanderbilt. Again, 28-10, Tennessee five wins in a row. And uh, I tell you what, when we come back, we'll talk about bold prospects, uh, what it looks like. We had a chance to catch up with Brad Lampley with the Music City Bowl and we'll share some of his thoughts on what lies ahead for Tennessee. If you want to join us, 656-9900, 1-866-656-9900. With Tim Irwin, I'm Jimmy Himes, and we're brought to you by uh, Window Works. You're listening to Sunday Sports Sound Off. Well, I think it's pretty simple. Um, you know, unfortunately, we lost a couple of players early in camp. Uh we turned the ball over. We didn't get turnovers, and, you know, we, we started executing and playing at a little higher level as the season went. Um, probably probably tackled better. Um, it's not a 
I don't know. There wasn't no magic uh, pill we all took. We just we started playing better. Tennessee head coach Jeremy Pruitt, when asked to explain Tennessee's uh, turnaround uh, this season and how the season went. Welcome back to Sunday Sports Sound Up with Tim Irwin. I'm Jimmy Himes. Uh, Tim, one of the things he said that I know caught your attention, they tackled better, and they certainly did tackle better. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the best tackling I've seen from a Tennessee team in a long time. I mean, that back seven, when they got hold of somebody, they went down. But I think uh, a big part of the defense's overall improvement was the growth by the young guys up front. I mean, they really had a good year from where they started. I thought they were going to get just dominated in virtually every game, and they came back. I mean, Middleton, Solomon, those guys. Bennett uh, is going to be our next premier pass rusher. I'll go ahead and say that. Um, Those spin moves he can put on people. He missed narrowly missed a sack yesterday. Uh, He's going to be our next premier edge rusher. And I I really was impressed by the development. And then Henry – Toto, I mean, he plays like a man, Jimmy. Uh, I'm really feeling good about our defense next year. We got some holes to fill, and I'm really feeling good about the stable of backs we got coming back on our offensive line. And you know, our Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde quarterback. I don't know which one's going to show up. Uh, looked like we got uh, Mister Hyde yesterday, at least to start the game. But. Uh, at least we got another year of experience and another year of getting used to Cheney, and yeah, I think things are brighter. Uh, I think we're one of the teams that you'd have to give the upward arrow to, and I think there's some other teams around us that got the downward arrow this year. You, you mentioned three defensive linemen, uh, others that, that played pretty well. Uh, Emerson at times. Yeah, Emerson moments. showed up too. Ma- Matthew Butler. Butler. I mean, yeah, plays. they, they, uh, I don't mean to leave you by out. I just and, don't know them all. Yeah. And, and Garland, but it, it's, they're just, there's not a, a great player in the group. It's just that all of them seem to get better and play their role and do what they needed to do. I thought the defensive line would get pretty much handled by everybody this year. That didn't happen. Now they weren't very good against Georgia state, but they had, they just kept getting better and better. And, Tim, I think that helped free up the linebackers where Batuli and Toto and others were making some plays. Well, and also, when you play in an ugly football game, and there are going to be times during the year where everything doesn't go perfect. You have turnovers. You have offsides. You have inclement weather. But when you play, when your lines can dominate, like both sides of the football did yesterday, um, it has a way of balancing things out, even when you're not playing well in the specials. Your special guys, your ball handlers aren't having the greatest night. When you got holes like that to run through, I mean, my gosh, some of those I could have run through. And getting to the second level, and in case you didn't know it, Vanderbilt's secondary wasn't near as quick as ours, and they didn't tackle near as well. Uh, those two long runs were things of beauty, and it just fired me up. Trey Smith, I don't know what the future holds for Trey Smith. but I hope he comes back for another year here, but – uh, what a warrior. I mean, he plays offensive line like it was meant to be played. He attacks from the guard position, and it's been fun to watch. And I hope he comes back again, but if he doesn't, my hat's off to him. I mean, what if he's not first-team All-SEC, then there's no justice in the world. He was asked if he would return next year, and he said, I hadn't thought about that, thinking about the bowl game. We'll get to that at the appropriate time. That was his Good answer, answer last night. Good answer. So. All right, uh, if you want to join us, 656-9900, 1-866-656-9900. Let's go to Mike 
Mike, you're on Sports Sound Off. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There was one thing I seen last night from our defense, and I really liked, and I hadn't seen a whole lot of it. Uh, but we we used to do it, and we need to get back to it. When uh, someone made a tackle, you would see six, seven, eight orange shirts. They were swarming the to the ball, weren't they? They yeah. were swarming to the ball, yeah. and we I've noticed that, and and I, I I love that that we need to get back to that. And I remember back in uh, I don't know when it you was. You mean there was a host of volunteers around the football? <laughs> <laughs> a host of volunteers, yes. I, and I love that. We need to get back to that. We need to do that more often. And uh, that shows improvement. But I remember back in the mid-'80s, I think it was, I think the fans called that defense that one year the Orange Crush. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like that. But now, another thing, too, on that fumble around the five or six-yard line with Crouch, I was listening to the Bob Network, and they said that was all on Crouch because uh, they said that he didn't raise his He reached for it. Right he didn't elbow. raise his arm. It's just like coaching when they're seven, eight years old. He, re- he didn't make a pocket. He reached out there to take it. Yeah, they, re- yeah, they said he lowered his hands like he's catching a baseball, and you can't do that. And hats off to Gantano, who dove in there head first without well, he did. their thing. Yeah. He did. He yeah. went in there and got it out of there. Yeah. yeah. I, was, uh, I, I, now that, you know, he, he had a bad night, but now that, that young man is, is all armed. I really like his heart. I really like his heart. But I just want to talk about the defense and that one play, and I appreciate y'all and, and go balls. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Um, I think he makes a good point, Tim. I think that that defense, they do swarm to the football. They do gang tackle, as they said. They look hungry. They yeah. look hungry out there. They look like they want to make tackles. And, and part of that's not being confused. I think there was some confusion last year in how to line up, but I think they bought into this system. They know where they're supposed to go, and they're trying to get there. And I think, uh, man, I mean, they react. and They run to the football, and there's no shortage of speed uh, out there. And, and nobody – in East Tennessee, should ever question Jared Garantano's heart. It's like that old country song. It's not his heart, Lord. It's his mind. Uh, we don't mean to be unkind, but some of the decisions that he makes sometimes uh, make you just scratch your head. He has the physical talent. Uh, he just uh, made some poor decisions where he had to be put down. And for the good of the team, he had to be put mm-hmm. down. Uh, when he's on, uh, you saw what could happen. I mean, look what he did against Missouri. When he's not right, he's liable to get you beat, too. So we got to have more consistency out of him for next year. And I hope he comes back. We can use him. We don't have anybody else that can throw the ball like he can. Tim, I thought Jeremy Pruitt handled that situation really well because you could have buried his confidence and buried him. But and you benched him, which he deserved, but Pruitt didn't say, okay, we're moving on to the next guy. He said right away, this guy's going to help us win some football games. So at least he kept him engaged. And I think he, even though you know the confidence had to be shattered to a certain degree, he didn't just cast him aside. And I think that was a good move coaching-wise to keep him engaged. And he has helped Tennessee win a number of these games. What do you think? I don't think he plays well when he's complacent. 
I mean, look at the – he's not – he can't follow a great game with a great start the next week. I mean, look how he started. I also don't think he throws the short ball well. No, he doesn't. And the and we brought that up last mm-hmm. week. In the first seven passes, six of them were short balls. Mm-hmm. And he threw it behind guys, in front of guys, in the ground, above their heads. Uh, I don't think that's his thing. I think also with part of his reemergence, he has – taken off and run the football well at key times. He has taken off once in a while, and he didn't do that for a period. Yeah. After he got that first down against Vanderbilt on a scramble, he was proud of himself. He got up signaling first down. Yeah, I know. I saw like, that. Take that. <laughs> so I, I can do this. I, I, <laughs> so. I saw that. I was fired up, too, because it was definitely the right decision. Um, but – Compared to the rest of the SEC and their quarterback play, I mean, you got to say he's like, I don't know, fourth or fifth place. He's not at the bottom, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but he, boy, when he stinks it up, he stinks it up. I mean, he's a whole lot better than what Vanderbilt's playing with. Woo, My goodness. Woo. I'd argue huh. he's better than South Carolina. I'd argue yeah. he's way better than Kentucky's quarterback, who's a running back, who's very effective now. He set a he set an SEC record for most yards rushing by quarterback <laughs> yesterday. He had like two eighty four, yeah, and four touchdowns. And and Kentucky ran for five seventeen. They beat Louisville forty five thirteen. But yeah, Bowden's not a quarterback. So no, he's um, more effective than Missouri's quarterback with mid hurt. It, uh, I wouldn't put him in the same league with Auburn or Alabama's quarterbacks or Florida's quarterback or Georgia's quarterback. But he'd probably somewhere. Right after or LSU's. Well, well, no, no. Um, he's probably sixth. Yeah, and and here's the thing too, and and I like Jake Fromm. I think he's had four consecutive games where he's completed less than forty, less than fifty percent of his passes. I like that, Jake Fromm when he had Jim Chaney calling the plays. I think Jake Fromm probably does too. He won't admit that. Yeah, but I think there's a, I, I think there's a bit, and and I know that the Georgia doesn't have the greatest receivers right now. They were without their leading receiver. And then they had a freshman that decided it was a, a good thing to get in a fight, so he's going to be suspended for the first half of the SEC championship game. But, uh, yeah, Fromm has not, uh, not been as effective this year as he was a year ago, and I think, I think you're right. I think Jim Chaney has something to do with that. So, Hey, when we come back, we will continue to take your phone calls. We'll also hear from more from Jeremy Pruitt and from Tennessee players. Uh, we are brought to you by Window Works, family-owned, founded in East Tennessee with only American-made products. With Tim Irwin, I'm Jimmy Himes. You're listening to Sunday Sports Sound Off. First, I want to thank all glory to God because all glory to him, but that's just a testament to the line. Uh, I came in the game prepared like I always do, and it just it broke for me tonight, and it's just a blessing to the old line, a blessing to the coaches. Welcome back to Sunday Sports Sound Off. That was Eric Gray, Tennessee running back, uh, talking about the big night that he had 246 yards, school record for a Tennessee true freshman running back, and uh, the fourth, um, only the fourth running back in Tennessee history to have as many as 246 rushing yards in a game. Best feeling the offensive lineman can get is to knock a crack and watch that guy's back as he's going down the field and just stand there looking at him saying, Look what we did. I mean, that's the best. To see one of those long runs break, you're kind of jogging down there for the PAT. That is, I mean, I had had many games where we ran the football like that, but I remember 
Notre Dame. I mean, we ran it all over him in 1979. Hubert and, Simpson. And it seemed like he had 200 yards, and it was 199. It was right off my back. And then uh, Auburn shook Jordan Stadium opening day, naming the stadium. We laid it on them like 48 to something. I don't know. Same year. And uh, I remember how fun it was just running the football, and there was nothing they could do about it. No stunt, no nothing. That's what it must have been like for those guys yesterday. 42 nothing in 1980? Yeah, Suge Jordan Day. So that was two they different years. They were ranked 18th. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we laid it on them. That was, that was a great feeling. Wow. Um, I thought it was – Trey Smith said that there was a time when he started chasing Gray, and he said, I forget this. Yeah. Did you ever try yeah. to chase No, Bonner? I never. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. It seemed like I reacted faster downfield when we threw the ball. Uh, was that when you're running the limit? ball, you stay on your blocks longer. Yeah. When the ball leaves and you sense it's leaved, you start sprinting to cover it in case there's, in case a, there's pick. a pick. Yeah. But I found myself being involved in the play more after a pass and a long. But by the, by the time that guy goes by you with a head of speed and you're blocking your guy, you can't feel that he's by you as fast, and you don't release. You're you're 30 yards behind the play. But I've. I think the best play I ever had, I knocked Refrigerator Perry down on a play pass. My momentum carried me out in the flat, weighed through a pick to run, to Rivera, the coach of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. I hit him I hit him on the tackle, knocked the ball loose, and Anthony Carter recovered it for a first down, so I got a triple plus that play. <laughs> but you can get involved more downfield in the passing game than you can the run. The backside tackle on the runs – can kind of yeah. get there sometimes, but no, but there's nothing you can do about that. You just watch that one happen, that 100-yarder. So. Of course, those were the Bears when oh, yeah. that yeah. play occurred. Yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's go with the phones where Thomas is our next caller. Hello, Thomas. Hello, good morning. Morning. I got a question about the uh, early in the uh, – I think it was early in the first quarter, we forced a fumble on Vanderbilt. And one of our guys gets his helmet ripped completely off. And I believe, if I remember correctly, he gets a uh, personal foul for playing with his helmet off. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, it, it, there were two guys with their helmet off, I think. What's what? What's a player supposed to do? I mean, the ball's laying at your feet. You're not allowed to pick pick that ball up. You have to wait till you get your helmet put back on or let somebody else pick the ball up. What's, what's a guy supposed to do in that situation? Not get involved, and that's hard to do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's just. I mean, I understand they're trying to protect these guys from injury, but it's a tough rule. I mean, they rip your helmet off, and you're basically out of the play. I'd be down yeah. there. I'd jump right on that tater if I, it was near me. It, I would have done the same thing. Um, I didn't, I didn't realize you get penalized if you continue playing without your whatever kind of equipment that That's you're designed to protect the players. So we're not going to be real critical of the rule, but you're supposed to. Right, I understand that. Off. It's just, it's just frustrating that if the ball's laying right at your feet, you can't jump on the ball. Yeah. And I, Thomas, I think I'm right about this. Uh, they used to not penalize you for that. They used to, uh, uh, I think they would kind of let it go when they would say, Hey, don't do that again. I, and the reason I say, I don't think they penalize. I remember back in 2000, Casey Clawson was making his debut at Tennessee against Alabama, and they ripped his helmet off, and he took off running and gained yards. 
and the crowd went nuts because he continued to play without his helmet and got right in the middle of it. And I don't remember them throwing a flag on that. That I don't yeah, remember. I it, remember came that. In, yeah. it came in with the protective rule changes. That, yeah, that's it right. came in at the same time, and and uh, yeah, you're supposed to. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Lay down. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah, as I said, get in the fetal position and <laughs> stand off to the side. But, which, uh, if the football's laying there, that's hard to do. I don't. I'm right. a, I'm a, I was a pretty tough guy, but I didn't want to get in there and mix it up. If my hat came off, I wore my chin strap where my hat wouldn't come off. Now these guys it today, seems like these helmets come off a lot easier. They do. Uh, these guys today, they're pretty cavalier about how they secure them. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think there's it's possible to put them on tight enough where the only way they're going to come off is if you break that chin strap on a violent hit. I ain't seen any broken right. chin straps this year. They've been sliding off, and I lost mine one time to Lyle Alzado who caught it with his hands and ripped it up in there and had my helmet coming after me. And luckily, that was a, they took him out after that. He got some kind of penalty. They took him out, and we never saw him again. But we might have done something to fire him up a little bit. But that was a long time ago, and the statute of limitations has expired. But that was the only <laughs> time I ever lost mine. It was torn off my head. Uh, but I could, I could see it once in a great while. But these guys, again, I saw a guy get hurt uh, – Last night, maybe it was a Florida-Florida State game. Classic case of not wearing knee pads. That's another one of my pet peeves. The most vulnerable joint in your body in football is arguably the knee. And how many of these guys do we see with no knee pads out there? This guy was returning a kick and got it, uh, just got tackled, a good hard tackle. It didn't bend or twist. He just got hit right on the knee and, you know, lays and moans around the ground. I'm like, wear knee pads. Wear wow. your helmet. That's what it's for. But I don't understand it. But yeah, that's a tough rule, and it it hurt. Uh, it hurt us on that play. It cost us a fumble, and and uh, right. Yeah, that was that was a bad deal. No, well, I appreciate it. Uh, go balls, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Thomas. Good call. Let's go to Steve. Steve, you're on Sports Sound Off. Hey, fellas. Hey, Steve. Hey, uh, what were up? Oh, our quarterback stats passing. He was six out of seventeen for 120 yards and one interception. Okay. I used okay. to coach Tom Shumpert school of football last night. He used to tell us at Central when you throw it, three things can happen, and two out of three of them are bad. Yeah. And we're not going to throw it if we don't have to. But uh, right. they figured right. it out. They figured it out. We threw it too much on that opening part of the ball game. I think. If you ask Cheney and he knew what he knew now, I don't think we'd have thrown it that many times. Well, I just I figured they were just sitting up the run by throwing the ball early. I don't I know what he was doing, but it wasn't working. I think he figured his hot quarterback might complete one or two of those. Right. But uh, right. he knew when to slip it in there. We had a couple of big runs, and he fired that long one down the middle of the field. And I think that caught him sleeping up there trying right. to stop that run. He's he pretty slick. I'd like right. to see him slip the draw in uh, once in a while. I'd like to see us be a better draw team. I think that would complete our package. We can't throw the short pass, so I'm not too hepped up on the screens. If you can't run a screen, then let's draw it. So right. Let's run the draw. Yeah. Garantano yeah. throws a terrible short ball. Right. And most of those passes he missed were short balls. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, okay. 
Tim, I remember when you played at Tennessee, I remember, didn't you uh, have a knee injury or something early on in the season and got a red shirt, had a, got uh, another year? I got uh, a red shirt because I started college. I played my senior year at Central at 16 years old, the whole wow. season. And I wow. started college as a 17-year-old, and they gave me a red shirt. didn't have anything to do with injury. I got a shoulder during that year that they fixed uh, late in the year, but – that didn't have anything to do with me red shirt, and that was part of the plan. So okay, you were red shirting anyway. But yeah, I was going to red shirt. Okay. I was I was young, and Coach Majors had just come in, and everything was in turmoil. And it, I went from defense to offense sometime in there, and uh, started learning how to block. Yeah, yeah. Avanzano, God rest his soul. I give him a lot of credit. He he stole a lot of that stuff from the Pittsburgh Steelers, but a lot of the drills we did. I think really helped me become a better player. I give him a lot of credit in my development and, and uh, some of the stuff he did. I think he stole from Dan Radakovich some of those drills, the mirror dodge drill in particular, and I think they really helped my development. Uh, but I really didn't feel like I knew what I was doing blocking until about my second year in the pros. I played right. defense so long. I think what helped me more than anything was working out a whole off season at the Golden Gloves. My hands got so much better and quicker. And uh, so, did, did coach, uh, did your line coach ever fix you spaghetti? He did. <laughs> he did. He was a he's he was a good cook. Yeah. Uh, he used to be a big fat guy too. And uh, oh, I didn't know he was ever fat. Oh I didn't yeah, know we got a picture him. of him when he played at Florida State. Did it? Who was talking uh, about? Joe Avanzano. Okay. He okay. used to be a big heavy guy too. He lost all that weight. He's he's a pretty guy now. He was only he was a. Uh, Dressed on the sidelines, and Coach Majors had to back him off because he was outdressing the head coach. <laughs> uh, wow, he was a he was an interesting cat. He's a good coach though, and I give him a lot of credit. Yeah, that yeah, coaching staff, he was a real good coach. John yeah. Majors brought in. They were a bunch of tough guys. Now, right, and Bobby were... Jackson and and uh, Roper and Avanzano and Jim Dyer, and I mean they got after it. They they right. coached all of them coached a long time after that. All right. Well, okay, guys. Uh... I'm not. I'm not quite as excited about Gray's game yet because uh, I think. I mean, I know he did a lot, obviously, and he's fast and all that stuff and got some moves. But I'm just, you know, against the team we were going against, is known for not being very good against the run, won't he? Yes. And you know, early in the year, all year long, a few carries he had had, he'd never gained much. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting another year when on the weights and all to see what he does. I think he'll be somebody to be do it in a lot of games, do well. But I'm not I'm not quite as excited about his game as some people are. Uh, but I'm pretty excited. I think if I was if I had bowl practices in front of me, what I would work on offensively is I would take my quarterback and my running backs and I would throw flare passes and screen passes all day long till I got that timing down. He right. can't throw it, and they can't catch it right now. Right. And one of our backs who has who had a dinged ankle didn't play much. That was his hallmark was catching those little flip right. passes out of the backfield. Right. He hadn't done that this year. Right. And Jared hadn't thrown them well this year. I believe I'd get that part of the game down because we're going to need that in the future. Right. Well. Okay, guys, what about the bowl? When are they going to announce what bowl we'll be in? They'll announce it the day after the SEC championship game. So does that, what, December the 8th maybe? 
Yeah. Case. So that's when they announce it, and uh, they'll go in a pecking order. They'll take all the college football playoffs, and then the New Year's Six, and uh, get to uh, get to Tennessee in there. So uh, it'll be December the eighth. What okay. teams are eligible in the SEC, Jimmy? Uh, there are eight, I believe. And we have 11 slots, right? It's 11 if two get in the college football playoff, otherwise uh-huh. 10. Okay. So, uh, and the SEC will not fulfill their allotment. They don't have enough eligible I'm teams. predicting one gets in. I think you're right, because the only way to get in is if Georgia beats LSU and both go. Yeah. I don't think Georgia beats LSU. I don't think so yeah. I think you're right. I think it'll be one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you got well, I watched the ball game with my dad, and he kept noticing the Auburn-Alabama uh, score, and he would comment on it. And, uh, you know, and what is it? How many lead changes watching that game? At least 11, wasn't it? Uh, and he would comment on the score of the game. And also, when the last lightning delay happened up there at Knoxville, I told him, I said, let's go ahead and turn that game. <laughs> so he, he watched the last part of it. But, uh, you know. But he was rather, rather fascinated by how how the score kept changing. It was, it was a heck of a ball yeah. game. Yeah. Hey, Steve, we appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Oh. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, right now there are well, right now uh, this regular season's over. In the East, there are there were four SEC teams that are bowl eligible. Kentucky got bowl eligible with its win against Louisville, and then uh, in the West there are five, including Mississippi State, which beat Ole Miss. So. Nine Missouri bowl was bowl eligible, but they can't go because they're being sanctioned. Uh, that's correct. So there would have been 10. Correct. And if one team went, we would have made it. Right. But we didn't make it because Missouri had a tutor gone crazy and doing work for players or some, some players. That's, or yeah, yeah, that's right. And so they got, a, they got a postseason ban in football, baseball, and softball. Those are the three sports that were affected. I thought the comments were interesting. Uh, I haven't heard this before. When you replace a coach, and they had the Missouri AD, I don't know his name, uh, but they had him on, and he said it was economic. He said our ticket sales were down. We've lost our excitement, uh, which tells me that, once again, you know, his, his donors and maybe the lack of ticket sales was calling the shot on whether or not the coach got to stay there. Uh, the um, I think that I, I wasn't there, but those that were at the Tennessee at Missouri game said they didn't think there were forty thousand people there. Yeah, uh, you got to so. put uh, you got to put some uh, rear ends on the seats, and make things go. Well, it, which uh, makes you also wonder. And look, I like Derek Mason, the Vanderbilt coach. I, I he's a, a good guy to interview and so forth. But they had thirty eight hundred fifty people roughly for their ETSU game, and he's staying according to the AD. The, They've uh, already said that. They can't afford sometimes, if a coach has done well and got a decent contract, mm-hmm. some of the smaller schools, they can't afford to replace them because of the buyout, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's Tim Irwin. I'm Jimmy Himes. When we come back, we'll have more. You're listening to Sunday Sports Sound Off. Um, well, the play we ran, you, I went to the right. I went to the right on the first one. I actually went to the left on the first one, came back right, and it just broke. The line was there, cut back, make the safety miss. It was just there. As Cincinnati running back Eric Gray talking about one of his long touchdown runs. Uh, he had 246 yards, school record for a true freshman at Tennessee. Maybe he's a good mutter. Maybe that's what his race card would say, good mutter. Maybe he <laughs> likes a wet field. I don't 
It could be. He certainly was impressive yesterday. Yeah, he was. Uh, we are brought to you by Window Works, offering financing for up to 10 years. With Tim Irwin, I'm Jimmy Himes. You're listening to Sunday Sports Sound Off. Let's go to the phones where our next caller is David. Hello, David. Good morning, Tim and Jimmy. How are you guys today? Fine, David. Much better. Good. Uh, <laughs> me too. Uh, three things. Uh, and I'm only bringing this up, Tim, because you kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1971, so that fall that year 1970 uh, i was also 16 when i played i didn't turn 17 till december yeah. it just so happened my freshman year in college that was the last year that you couldn't play varsity football uh as a freshman so we had to sit out anyways as a varsity sport and i thought it was a it was instrumental in helping me to develop physically but also preparing for college life that would be the first thing the second part of it is is you don't hear enough i want to give coach fitzgerald a, a big big uh, yahoo and and thank you there's a noticeable difference in our players this year physically uh not only from a strength standpoint but in their ability to still be fresh at the end of the game you know part of that is is a little bit better substitution and more substitution that was available but still we still have guys in defense playing 60 70 snaps that still looked at fresh at the end that they did at the beginning and you just don't hear the media regardless of whether it's radio print or TV, just talk enough about the importance of strength and conditioning coaches and how much they impact the game and the players. Uh, if you were to talk to Coach Day at Ohio State, he would tell you that Mickey Mariotti probably had more of an impact on their success than, year than, than the rest of the staff. Um, the last part of this is, uh, guys, I have to tell you, even though you guys are not a regular, you guys just do this thing in the fall, uh, it is my favorite show to listen to during this time of the year. Uh, you guys make a great combination, uh, you know, with, you know, Tim, your background, not only here in Tennessee, but, but in the pro ranks. And then, uh, Jimmy, you know, your experience here as a local media personality. So uh, you guys are very much appreciated and look forward to hearing you guys next year. Dave, we appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening as well. Um, in regard to, I, I tell you what, we're going to touch on this and I'll jump on it. We had the question earlier about, uh, well, I'll, I'll go ahead with what he said about strength and conditioning with Coach Fitzgerald. Uh, Tim, I know that you think that's a very integral part of any program. I do. I, I attribute my longevity f- to my lifting habits. I, I really do. I think it. Uh, if you make what's inside you stronger, then you're less likely to get it hurt. I really believe that. And I think uh, I'm talking about every part of your body. I'm talking about working out your neck, working out your ankles, uh, I, I like to lift heavy during the season. And, uh, and not a lot of people did that when you did it. Were no, they? no. And uh, I think uh, my strength served me well and was one of the reasons I was able to play so long. I think you see the same thing kind of. Uh, I mean, a lot of strength coaches take the approach during the season, we're going to do maintenance lifting. Mm-hmm. But, no, I think that's wrong. I think you keep trying to make those gains. And you keep uh, work. If you get a guy hurt – that guy was probably going to get hurt on the on the field anyway, in my opinion. you got to keep working them, and I think they're doing a good job over there right now with their nutrition and their work habits, and, and everything I've heard is positive. I haven't seen a whole lot of it. I haven't been around watching their workouts, but I think that's a big part of their success. I've seen a lot of guys' bodies change, young players getting ready to compete at a college level, and I think also – not taking anything away from Coach Fitzgerald, I think the programs in high school are a lot better than they used to be, too, lifting yeah. programs. I think uh, I was a 
biggest guy on the Vikings at 274 when I entered the league. Well, that's changed. Yeah. And when I left the Miami Dolphins 14 years later, I was 314, and there were five guys bigger than I was. Yeah. Wow. And my yeah. waist size was the same at 314 as it was at 275. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's, it, it makes a difference, that's for sure. That's Tim Irwin. I'm Jimmy Himes. When we come back, we'll have more on Sunday Sports Sound Off. 